Jensen presents the Keith Lowell Jensen Show with Keith Lowell Jensen. And we're back. Episode 12. My God, we made it this far. Who would have thought? And, uh, you know, I'm just going to introduce my guest right away and jump right in and let him do all the housekeeping stuff with me this time. Greg Mania, how are you? Hello, hello. How's it going? Thank you for having me on your show. Congratulations. Thanks for being here. Can you believe it? 12? 12 episodes. My lucky number. (laughs) You're composing an email to your publicist as we speak. What the hell are you doing? (laughs) So, um, yeah, I got to do a little housekeeping here and then I'm super excited to talk to you. First, I have to thank our sponsor, but you'll know them. It's Clash Books. And uh, aren't they the best? I've, I've heard of I've heard good things. (laughs) Uh, Clash is a small publishing company publishing new voices and doing really great things. My guest today is one of their authors, and next year I will be as well. I was uh, deeply in like with them even before they agreed to sponsor our podcast. Please visit them at clashbooks.com and tell them KLJ sent you. So yeah, yeah, they're good people over there. Nice little husband-wife operation. They treating you all right, Greg? They are, I call them my book dad and book mom. Um, they nice. have been, you know, they've been the best. I mean, I'm just so lucky that I, I found them. They came into my life at the right time. Like I lost my agent. She, she didn't die. She's very much alive. Um, but you just can't uh, find yeah. her. <laughs> yeah. She, she just stopped picking up my calls. I don't know why. Um, <laughs> no, but I actually, yeah. So we started shopping this book around and then, she uh, took a, a, a gig elsewhere, and we're still good friends, and I'm happy for her. And then I just you was know, sort of, you know, running around with this book proposal, and I was like, well, how am I going to sell this without an agent? And then lo and behold, I came across Clash Books in a moment of happenstance, and, uh, you know, the rest was history. That's great. Uh, Christmas is here, uh, almost. Yes, it is. I'm stupid excited about it. I'm probably the most christmas loving atheist you'll ever meet i hope i get a lot of comic books and some video games because i haven't matured in the last 30 years uh my comic books and video games often say for mature audiences but don't let that fool you i do occasionally read books without pictures and recently read born to be public uh, by today's guest greg mania this is this is me sneaking in your biography. It's it's smooth the way I do this, isn't it? Greg Greg Mania is a writer, comedian, and award winning screenwriter based in New York City. His words have been published in the New Yorker, Vanity Fair, O, the Oprah Magazine, Paper, uh, among other international online and print platforms. His debut memoir, Born to Be Public, is out now from Clash Books. That, of course, is the aforementioned Born to Be Public. Uh, I'm going to read some things that some people have said about this book comedic gold from oh the oprah magazine holy shit pope oprah culture comedic gold how did that yeah. feel well oprah called me personally and i think i think gail was on the line too um <laughs> and uh you know gave her blessing to use this as the lead blurb and i just ran with it no, it was <laughs> that That's was, really impressive that she called you. I mean, she actually came to my house to talk to me, but still, it's nice that she called you. There's a pandemic on. She probably well, to... you know, I'll take what I can get with her. Um, <laughs> well, yes, uh, that was wonderful to get. I'm a big fan of, well, actually, Oprah Magazine has a really, really great uh, book coverage. And funny enough, the assistant books editor, Michelle Hart, who is, um, 
doing the Lord's work over there with, you know, book coverage, actually went to Hofstra, uh, my alma mater. So we okay. share that in common. Funny enough. It's all who you know, man. It's all yeah, Exactly. Yeah. Uh, here we go. Greg Mania is the Cheesecake Factory of Writers, and I say that with the utmost reverence. Extravagant, <laughs> unapologetic, hilarious, and fucking good. That's Lindy West, who I find absolutely delightful. I miss her so much on Twitter. Uh, she, author of yeah. Shrill and The Witches Are Coming. Yes, great up-and-coming writer. Uh, voice book out for for sure. Uh, this book is a hilarious <laughs> wonder. Not only does it prove that Greg Mania was indeed born to be a public and beloved icon, but also that he was born to be a celebrated writer. It's sheer delight. Elisa Nutting, author of Tampa and Made for Love. And then NPR says, Mania is charming, honest, and above all, laugh out loud funny, as they named Born to be Public as one of the best books of 2020. Now, how did that one feel when you got named? I mean... That's NPR. That, that was, I mean, that, you know, I honestly, like, I'm not being facetious. I was like, if I could get on one end of your list, that would be great. If I could pay for that, that's fine. Um, but to wake up to that and and just see this among, like, I don't, like Barack Obama, Mariah Carey, right, like, right. That, that was something, that was something else. Um, and that was truly, like, you know, it was a magical moment. It was a very much a light in this dark, hellish nightmare that we have been living in. So, no, that was wonderful. I completely am dumbstruck. Like, that was amazing. Oh, it's nice to know that somebody will look back at 2020 and have a positive <laughs> memory of it, at least part of it. Yeah. <laughs> I love on your, on your bio, it says, uh, after listing all the awards and nominations and other uh honors you've gotten it says please don't let all these fancy awards and nominations fool you he's still on a family plan Very oh, the true. reality of being a quote successful artist in this country huh i mean hello it's uh <laughs> it, it's you know it's very much it's a it's a tug of war between uh very fine things in life i guess you could say which is i don't know takeout once in a while um right and then you know just trying to yeah trying to make ends meet so uh i'm i mean like the title suggests i'm very much public and that involves the you know the not so glamorous parts of being a writer my friend uh johnny taylor another stand-up comedian uh talks about the day that his album hit number one on itunes and he was so excited his co-workers at his day job were high-fiving him and he goes downstairs to the little convenience store in the basement of their building and his atm card bounced when he tried to buy a snickers bar <laughs> that, like, that is real yeah just brought him right back to earth <laughs> Look, um... so you as you mentioned you do you you share the ups and downs you share a lot of intimate details of who you are. And I, I was thinking about that because uh, you form these odd one-sided relationships. And I'll mm -hmm. use myself for an example. I have spent the last couple of days getting to know you and now I'm interacting with you. And on my end, I'm interacting with someone I feel like I know. Right. And you're talking to someone who you've never met before, who's talking to you for the first time. And I imagine a lot of people respond to you in a, in a strange way. Are you having people wanting to cry on your shoulder and give you hugs? You, feeling like they have a stronger relationship with you than you have with them. 
You know, it's kind of like I I went into this knowing, you know, that would sort of be the outcome because I've sort of, I mean, like I outlined in the book, I've been this very sort of vulnerable, like using the internet, like a glorified diary. I mean, I'm putting myself out there and I'm sort of, you know, asking for this attention back. And yeah, what you read about me is all, you know, it's all true and it's all, um, you know, it's an extension of who I am. And, you know, the person that you're talking to tonight is, is, you know, a, a part of that book and the book is a part of me. So, uh, yeah, I've gotten a lot of sweet messages sort of, you know, thanking me for normalizing conversations on mental health and, and, uh, toxic relationships and just, you know, coming out and identity and that stuff in general. So, and, but that's all been very supportive and wonderful to hear. And I'm glad I can sort of at least get those conversations going, if not with someone else, at least, you know, internally. And then, you know, hopefully that can just, you know, set the stage for whatever, you know, one is going through in their life. So, it, I mean, it, it's been a lot and it's been, but in a good way. So I'm happy to at least be a conduit, if nothing right. else, for, um, you know, people's self-actualization. Let me ask you this question again uh, sure. after after the pandemic. Okay. Because <laughs> I hope you're ready. I performed with Maria Bamford, and I'm not just name dropping, uh, but she is someone else who's done a lot to kind of normalize and talk about mental illness. And watching her get off stage and the line of people waiting to hug her, their eyes tearing up as they shake her hand, uh, people telling her, you saved my life. And I was so impressed because I imagine she gets it. I mean, it wasn't like a big show that she was headlining. It was a showcase and she came yeah. and did, you know, 10 or 15 minutes and all these people flooded out and packed the place because they heard that Maria Bamford was going to be there. And her response to them was so gracious and generous, but I couldn't help feeling like it must also get exhausting. Like maybe right. there are times when she wants to go out incognito. <laughs> right. Right. And you would be, you, um, you know what? I'm, I'm correcting myself as I say this, I was going to say it would be hard for you to be incognito because you have such a look, but maybe that would actually make it so much easier to be incognito. If you just left your hair down and, you know, didn't wear a bright yellow jacket. <laughs> right. Right. Well, I mean, Maria, I mean, I love her. I mean, I'm a giant fan and I think she's oh, done an amazing, best. I mean, she's done, she's left her mark with, um, you know, the intersection of comedy and mental health is just genius. And she's really carved her space in that regard. And I respect her and I admire her for that. Um, but I also totally understand that, you know, you're sort of leaving your heart out on the stage. I'm leaving it out in this book that's, you know, available for public consumption. But, you know, no matter what medium you're performing or, uh, expressing yourself in, you're sort of inviting that attention. And uh, I really think it takes a lot of, you know, self-preservation to sort of, you know, you want to check back in with yourself. I totally get that. Like with this book, um, you'll see that there's this, the duality between like, I talk about the social pressure performing as, you know, Greg Mania, that name is sort of like, it announced itself before me. And there's this pressure that, I, especially after, you know, finding community in New York nightlife and it's very, you know, glamorous and campy and over the top. 
and it sort of invites that persona. I mean, right? You read about people named, you know, my friends Breedlove, and there's a Lady Starlight, and then Darian Darling, and then Greg Mania, right? These names evoke, you know, giant personas, but you know, sometimes I don't feel like wearing my hair up. I mean, these days, I mean, I haven't changed my shirt in like four days. So um, <laughs> that pressure is no more. And it's sort of liberating. <laughs> um, but I mean, yeah, for a few years, I was like, you know, can I, I, I really don't feel like wearing my hair high or being this flamboyant character. And, you know, it's sort of been a, I guess I could say I've been trying to reconcile that. And this book was a product of that. It was sort of embracing the totality of, of me. It's like, yeah, I can be this like flamboyant, you know, Phyllis Diller style rock star, Iggy pop meets Elton John comedy writer. But I, I can also be just like, just piece of shit that, you know, <laughs> does leave the house for four days and just like has ugly Betty blaring on in the background. And, and, you know, so that's sort of what the, the book is about. And, I mean, now, like, I can sort of, I'm able to respect those different facets of me and, um, you know, sort of, uh, I guess, embrace them in a way and, um, you know, not feel that pressure to perform. I, I'm, I'm doing quotes to perform. But, um, yeah, that's sort of what this book is, you know, in the end about. I absolutely love that your uh, sort of stage name and, and that big persona name uh, is spelled exactly the same as your real name. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the the pronunciation before you were Greg Mania is Greg Mania. Is that right? Yeah, that's that's it. Yeah, it's, uh, that's always been my name. I grew up with that name, obviously, from my birth certificate, as far as I know. Um, never you, seen you it. I want to check. <laughs> uh, I might want to. I might want to confirm that. Um, but yeah, that's uh, it's always been. But I mean, I always been called Mania, like that's the first pronunciation when you, you know, you read it. So, you know, growing up, like I've heard that left and right. And then it was always, you know, correcting, correcting, correcting. And then, you know, uh, going to college in New York and discovering these, you know, nightlife personalities and, and sort of using their, their personas to create a space, a space for themselves. That's what I was really hungry for. I mean, I grew up closeted in New Jersey and, you know, I had a pension for the theatrical, but I really didn't have an outlet to, to explore it. And, you know, coming to New York, I was like, well, there's, you know, now obviously you may or may not have heard of a lady named Lady Gaga who has been, you know, shot right to stardom and has been talking about her, her, you know, her persona and how she sort of created this character. And that's kind of what I did. That's kind of what, you know, I became like a student of, New York nightlife and I just sort of followed my mentors and did the same thing and it, it was a very liberating thing to do but you know like we talked about just five minutes ago it became I, I don't want to say exhausting because it is very freeing to sort of embrace the weird and um, the over-the-top parts of yourself the freak I guess you could call it um, but yeah it, it became I guess very one-sided where I was just sort of trying to live up to that name and then i was like well some days i don't i don't feel like that some days you know i'm depressed or i'm anxious or i'm dealing with chronic pain and i don't feel like greg mania i just want to be you know ill <laughs> and just sit here and feel my symptoms right. and but those symptoms are also part of me so i mean i can't you know i can't ignore 
one facet or forsake one for another. I just have to sort of let them coexist. The book does a wonderful job of kind of juxtaposing that loud, garish public persona, which is a a real and valid part of you, uh, with the part of you that does have aches and pains and insecurities. Um, Especially like, uh, and and forgive me for not remembering all the names, I just finished reading it, but there's uh, a relationship that you have uh, with someone who um, suffers from, do they suffer from bipolar? Oh, yes. Uh, a borderline. Per- Are you talking about the borderline. relationship with, with Roy? When you first meet Roy, yeah. you, you almost instantly go from presenting this big personality to then presenting this person who is then vulnerable with him and real with him. And yeah. it, it's almost jarring in the book. And it, it made me think of all the tremendously cool people who I've known and looked up to and maybe kind of had unrealistic expectations of who then I got to know and went, Oh, they're just like sweet insecure people like the rest of us. And somehow I still get surprised. Sometimes somehow I still do it. I still make these people bigger than life and <laughs> right. get surprised when you talk to them. I want to ask you about New Jersey because New Jersey yeah. is uh, competing with Florida to be the, the state that we make fun of. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what what is New Jersey really like for someone that grew up there? What what don't I mean, we know about New Jersey? I mean, I'm not gonna lie. I used to be selling that shit on New Jersey all the time, and I was like, oh, all we've done is produce like the fucking Jersey Shore, and then, but that was me being just like a piece of shit in college and being like, oh, I'm not from a cool place. But not, right. you know, now as I've grown up, now I fucking love New Jersey. I mean, I I try to go there as much as possible i grew i mean new jersey's so diverse there's i mean there's south jersey which i'll digress uh but i I will (laughs) say central i know there's a lot of great towns i mean it it varies by town down there um not to i I don't want to generalize um but i will say that new jersey is just such a i mean from where i grew up in lawrenceville which is uh pretty equidistant from trenton and princeton and it's sort of quiet sleepy suburb and it's a great place to just drive around i mean i still if i could go back like i mean my favorite thing to do i mean when i was 18 was just drive around i mean that's the thing to do like you could go to applebee's or you drive around those are the two activities that i did as a teen go to, go to applebee's or drive around <laughs> yes and <laughs> that sounds like, like most of our teen years right you chain smoke i listened to the pixies and that was what i did <laughs> And but no, now as an you know as an adult, I like to go hang out with my parents, and it's a very just quiet, relaxing place to be. I mean, there's I mean there's the, you, know, you have the shore, there's mountains you can go hiking. I don't hike, I don't believe in it. Um, I'm not <laughs> one to do that. Uh, I know that's very big for you guys over there in LA. Um, I'm, I'm hiking I, right now as we're talking. I mean, I'm sweating thinking about you hiking. Um, <laughs> I can't fathom it. I'm taking Advil as we speak. Um, I mean, yeah, but there's, you know, you have just lakes and mountains and I mean, I'm all for the malls. It's very true. We are, like I say, 90% malls and that's still very mark. That's very much a part of my identity. Um, <laughs> it's just the mall in general. 
but yeah, I will say that New Jersey has a lot to offer. I mean, there's something for everyone. It's metropolitan. It's quiet. It's, you know, scenic. It's rustic. I mean, it's whatever, you, you know, whatever you want it to be, you can find it there. I'm wondering why New Jersey became the state that we make fun of. And I wonder if there's some little brother complex with being right next to New York or I mean, what do you think of that? I guess. I mean, there's also I mean, I also I feel like a lot of it is when you're looking at the tri-state area, especially if you're traveling within it. I mean, you're just seeing like Newark, which is a giant like meth lab. Like it's just smoking. <laughs> and, and like I literally every time like right now when I when I visit my parents, like I'm obviously adhering to any guidelines and I'm I'm distancing and I'm getting tested and my brother to avoid taking public transit my brother will pick me up and we drive out of New Jersey. And the first thing that anyone sees is like these giant factories, just probably responsible for 90% of the ozone depleting just, and it's, it smells like shit. It smells like sulfur and you're driving down the turnpike. And it's just like this, like just this amber glow. Like it's always cloudy, even though it's sunny out and it's just depressing and morose. And I'm pretty sure that's like the first impression people get because when they're traveling from New York or you're coming from, you know, Connecticut or anywhere in the Northeast, you're coming through North Jersey, which is the turnpike is going right through these like giant factories. And like, there's these pro life billboards, like just all <laughs> over the place. And it's just awful. But you know, that's, I, I think that might be like the word of mouth. Um, uh, I guess the the I guess the whatever you want to call it the the bad rap that it gets, but I also I feel like there's a lot of I get you know it gets shit on a lot in popular culture. So I mean you know, I would say it's a it's a mix of things you know word of mouth and just what people say historically about it. Um, but yeah, I, I'm all I, I love New Jersey. I'm obsessed with it. I, I think you are onto something with the part of New Jersey that's the closest to New York, the part that we're going to see when we're in New York or, or, you know, coming from New York into right. New Jersey. Right. I look at somewhere like Oregon and Oregon has so much better of a rep. Oregon is liberal and progressive and beautiful. Right. And if you've actually driven through Oregon, it's a redneck nightmare. It's, it's right. the South and the North. It's atrocious. <laughs> and yeah. Portland, Portland is great. I'll go, you know, obviously they have their problems, but um, so right. yeah, it's just the, the part of a place that people get to see makes a big impression and can unfairly and label everywhere else. Yeah. And I'm not even talking about like Newark. I'm talking about like, there's a strip on the turnpike where it's just these giant industrial plants and factories. I'm not talking like Secaucus and Newark, but you know, that's cities. And so like, I'm just literally talking about this one strip on the turnpike that stinks and is awful to look at. And you just like want to hurl because you're just like, wow, I'm definitely getting ill just driving through here. And written um, across it is, welcome to New Jersey. <laughs> yeah, exa exactly. Like, Newark, I mean, there's great, you know, there's, uh, oh, my God, what's that concert center? It's like a giant venue. It's all share there last year. It was great. And I was like, Newark forever. Um, <laughs> but, like, other than that, like, my only grip is just that, like, giant industrial strip that people have to drive through to get to anything nice in New Jersey. Right. Well, good. Maybe that'll keep the people out that aren't committed enough to it. This is true. Yeah. 
<laughs> That's the gatekeeper. Uh, when did you start writing the book? It, I, I know when we get to the last chapter, you say, you know, three years later or. Yeah. Uh, when, when did you first start um, putting it down on paper? Yeah. I mean, I was always an active blogger. I mean, who wasn't in like 2011? Everyone was on WordPress and Blogspot. Uh, yeah. I've uh, still got my blogger.com page up. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. I was, you know, heavily active on that. And I just was sort of writing, you know, comedic, like I was just comedy writing, writing satirical pieces. Uh, I really was getting into like McSweeney's at the time. And I was like, oh, I kind of really want to, you know, follow that. So when I graduated from Hofstra in 2013, I was like, well, you know, I kind of want to take writing to the next level. Maybe I could write a book. And it really just started as a compilation of funny stories and vignettes and just like anecdotal things. And I really didn't expect to actually write a memoir. So, you know, after I graduated, I, you know, got into that relationship, Roy, chapter 10, I think that just imploded and <clears throat> part of me. And I just sort of had to recalibrate and I moved back to, I moved to New York. I got an apartment in Harlem and I went back to school at the new school. And then I really started writing this book and this book really grew up with me. And I realized that I couldn't just write about the funny things about also including the not so funny things. And it really just sort of turned into a memoir. I mean, that's, I mean, the word memoir memory, it, it really is a snapshot of, you know, growing up and, you know, I would say the majority of the book is 18 through 25. And that's sort of the era of my life that I wanted to capture with the book. I had a, I had a moment with the book yeah. um, where you were describing disassociation. Okay. And Let's it go there. really threw me for a loop. I have had a memory that I've shared with a few people of, you know, having a fight with my brothers. I grew up with three older brothers, one of whom mm -hmm. became a professional fighter. So this wasn't your casual brothers fighting. When we fought, it mm -hmm. was blood. <laughs> and my older brother describes me just not giving up. Like no matter how many times he picked me up and dropped me on my head, I'd get up and charge him again to where he had to put me in the room and pull the door shut and hold it shut. And I have a memory of looking down at that scene from the corner of the room, of feeling 100% out of my body. And it's always been one of my strangest memories, and I've never had a name for it. And then I heard the way that you described disassociation. Right, yeah. And it hit me like very... a ton of bricks where I went, holy shit, that's what I was doing. That's what was happening. And that Because it fit the emotional moment as well it made sense right. that, that that would happen at that time uh wow that i mean i i had to kind of stop reading and go talk to my wife and be like oh i think i did disassociated <laughs> i am honored no i'm i'm <laughs> i'm uh, no it's a very it's a freaky feeling if you don't know what it is or like have never experienced it i mean it's very jarring um and yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, but in a way, I think it's important to name it um, right. because I mean, it sort of sits in your memory. And I mean, if you're not consciously thinking about it, it's still there. It's still like in the fabric of your being. And I think whether it is now or 20 years from now, or however long, you know, whatever happens, I think it's important always to 
to put a name to it because it can be very scary to sort of not realize what's happening to your body and to sort of feel this disconnect. And I think it, I think it helps to put a name to it and, um, you know, and take it from there. The other thing that happened to me reading your book is I think I fell in love a little bit with your parents. Oh, they sound like absolute sweethearts. And uh, (laughs) can you tell us about how you did and and kind of didn't uh, come out to them? I mean, that, I mean, they are, I mean, they're the best and I'm happy that, I mean, that's a comment that I've been so happy to get with this book is that people sort of got to know them through it. Um, And I really wanted to do them justice because, you know, with parents, it's like, it's a very insular feeling because how am I supposed to bring my relationship with them into this very public medium? But again, I guess that's my job as a writer. That's how, that's my job to figure out. And I'm just so happy that I could um, share them with readers like that. <clears throat> um, so yeah, with my parents though, is it's obviously it's not all gravy, but yeah, it came to a point where I was very public with my my writing in college and with you know coming of age and realizing that I am a gay man and I have an interest in things that you know, maybe seen as unconventional, especially to my parents who are Polish, they're Polish immigrants, but at the same time, we're not too different. They also were club kids in their own right. You know, right. My mom they were was, kind of what we called scenesters back in the day. They absolutely were. Like, they had vodka on one hand, two cigarettes at least in the other, <laughs> and, you know, my dad was a DJ, my mom was a stage manager for several, you know, acts, performers, and that's they had no that. right to expect a straight kid, honestly. I mean, how dare they? <laughs> um, the audacity. So I, yeah, but at the same time, like, you know, they, they, I don't know. I, I, I don't want to like co-op their, their story, but at the same time, you know, they, they found each other and they got married here in the United States. They both came here, I think about a year or two apart from each other. And, you know, they got married, they had my brother, Andy, and then I came along 11 years later. And obviously they uh, embraced the family life and we grew up lower middle class. And, and, you know, we live in a blue town. I grew up in a very blue town, but at the same time, like they want, you know, as parents, they want to shield me from certain things. And, you know, I came into New York City like a bat out of hell, just hungry for, you know, experience. And then I just was sort of out there. And, you know, my parents are also very, very, you know, they're private. They, they, it wasn't so much, you know, me being gay. They were just, they were more, okay, so let me, let me take it back to be basically Google outed me. <laughs> let's, let, let's take a beat for your listeners. This is a very millennial coming out story. <laughs> so, right. I, if, so if you're going to Google your kids, you just have to be ready for what you find. Yeah. Yeah. Just be prepared is what I'll say. Um, my parents weren't. And then we had a conversation. Uh, <laughs> so, <laughs> so yeah, like, I mean, we talked about, you know, we had the blogger and I was blogging and I was being very open about, you know, the guys I want to fuck and the music I was listening to just going out of control because in a way, like, 
you know, I, I didn't grow up in a conservative household, but I still have that. I still had a, a, a pension or not a pension. I just had a, an urge to act out. And you know, I wasn't a bad kid or a bad teen, but I still like had that, I guess, nature in me. And I had that proclivity in me as a young kid, uh, you know, coming of age. And that's what I did. But I did it through blogging and I did it online on the internet, which is, you know, what, what, the what has been. I mean, the internet is just what is. It's not good or bad. It's just our reality now. And that's what I tapped into. And uh, my parents were just, you know, they saw me coming home each, you know, each time I came home, my hair was getting taller and my hair right. was getting blonder and my, my clothes were getting wilder. And, you know, they had questions and I wasn't the most forthcoming. I was still, you know, no matter how cool my parents are, like, me coming out as gay is feels like a seismic shift. It certainly felt more so back then. And having that conversation felt like it was going to change the bedrock of our relationship. And I was scared of that. And I think any queer kid is, is, has that, you know, it's that what if factor is like, you know, will you still love me? If X, Y, whatever, whatever, whatever you're coming out as, whatever change you want to make in your life. And, and I just was sort of, putting all that energy into being this very public person without sharing that with, you know, those closest to me. So my parents, you know, they got curious and, you know, I don't blame them. They wanted to know more about their kids than their kid was willing to share. <laughs> and, and, and they just, they opened up their computer. My, you know, I'm, I'm not their computers. I know it was my dad and my mom like huddled around their family computer and they've got their reading glasses on. <laughs> and they typed in my name and, you know, and then you Norman know, they, Rockwell would be painting this scene if he were alive today. This is, this that, is the modern Norman Rockwell, the parents around the family computer, maybe in the corner of the kitchen, uh, right. finding out that their son is, uh, right. more there's than a, gay. More. <laughs> there's, a, there's a ghastly, there's like a Morticia Adams glow on their faces. Right. And then I, I, I think a look of shock coming on that. Yeah. So they, they Googled me and, you know, they found, you know, my blog spot or whatever other malarkey I was going on about online. And then, you know, I came home one weekend and they, you know, they straight up, you know, they were like, so we, we did some searching and I was like, "Uh uh-huh. They were like, yeah. So they were basically like, we found your, your, your website. I think that's what they called it. And, and they, they just, you know, they weren't like, they were, they were more disappointed that I was willing to share all these uh, vulnerable things with the internet before them. So that, that can be so yeah. hard for people to understand, but I know as a stand up comedian, it, it is much easier for me to go share things on stage in front of a bunch of people. Exactly. And sometimes that'll even give me the security to then share it with my loved ones. <laughs> exactly. Know? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And like, that's sort of what it was. They were like, you know, it's going to take getting used to because it wasn't just me being gay. It was me being like in fishnet and, and like a G string at a, at a club. Like my eyes are crisscrossed because I, I don't know what I was on, but like, <laughs> I love the John Waters quote where they asked him about coming out and, and why he wasn't more vocal about being gay. And he said, gay with the stuff I'm into, like that should be the least anyone's concerned. About. Hey, thank you. <laughs> exactly. Oh my God. Why didn't I include that in there? That should have been the epigram. Like, 
I mean, exactly. Like, it wasn't that. That's, like, the least of their problems. Like, check my cars and glove compartment, and then we'll have a conversation. Like, that was the least of your problems. Right. Um, so that for that was sort of the reckoning that we both had to, you know, as parent and, and child, parent and child, that was sort of where we had to, you know, build a bridge because it wasn't just I was gay. It was just, you know who I want to be as a, as a creative and what I was into. And, you know, my, my, I guess, shamelessness with broadcasting that is something they had to get used to. But obviously now with this book out and they've read it now, it's obviously they're cool with it and they're very supportive and loving, but you know, for a while it took them getting used to and and for both, for both ends. Yeah. Greg, you're braver than me. I have given my mother instructions not to read my books and i told it like of my comedy albums there's one that i've let her listen to i was like mom i finally made one you can hear and and she doesn't my mom doesn't google me she knows better she's like i probably don't want to know whatever it is you're keeping yourself probably good reason so good good on you i mean the thing is i knew like the the whole googling experience told me that i can't ban them from they're gonna read it or look it up anyway so right that's I mean, what I like is that my mom was like kind of volunteering too. If you kept it for me, go ahead and keep it for me. <laughs> I mean, ugh, you're lucky. Um, but no, I? I mean, I'm not sure. <laughs> I mean, I guess there's, I guess there's benefits and, you know, to, and there's, you know, good things and bad things about both of these situations. But you know, at the end of the day, you just want your parents to love you. For sure. To, to have a positive story of a gay kid's relationship with their parents. Uh, I, I think it's awesome and, and powerful. Um, you, you actually put that so eloquently in the book. And and just now when we were talking where you say that you have that question of, will you love me if, and asking that right. question is it's terrifying. And I actually, I, I went and read that little excerpt to my wife and daughter. Cause I thought that that was a beautiful way to put that. And, and what, Aww what we all experience when we share some part of ourselves that we haven't shared before. So I mean, and, well, and I'm very you. glad that that worked out well for you. Me too. Um, for you and I both. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. Uh, can you, th- there was a part of the book that uh, made me giggle quite a bit where you were giving some advice to your readers about uh, dating in New York, tips on dating in New York. I was wondering if you would read us an excerpt from that. Yes, yes. Well, uh, I am an expert in dating in New York. Uh, Been through them all. Um, So I'm going to read from what there's 10 tips for dating in New York City. And I'm going to read, let's pick a random one. I will go with number six. (laughs) This might be looked down upon anywhere else, but it is totally appropriate and recommended to pregame your date. This helps alleviate those pesky butterflies. That's another thing people in New York City don't have time for. Butterflies in our abdominal region, not conducive to soul cycle. Ugh. Arrive a half an hour early and try to consume between two to four glasses of wine. Remember, it is not appropriate to start blacking out until halfway through your date. <laughs> don't, don't feel bad if you get sick. Just casually vomit in the nearest appropriate receptacle. A ficus or your neighbor's open Michael Kors bag will do. You need someone to love all of you, so expose your flaws from the start. 
admit from the get-go that you're one of those people who hangs toilet paper, who hangs a toilet paper roll on the underside. Feel free to bring your collection of antique spoons and whip them out before you even order an appetizer. Confess that you've been sending your favorite contestant on Project Runaway a friendship bracelet every year for the past 12 years. Now, there's more where that came from, but that's just a little tidbit for your listeners. <laughs> that's great. And it, it just makes me one of the reasons that it, you know, I, I've been in a relationship for a long time. And so I do get the questions of, of like relationship advice. And uh, one of the things that keeps me in a relationship is that I never, ever want to do dating again. <laughs> and, oh, and reading okay. your tips about dating, whether it be in New York or, or in Sacramento, it's... Um, a nightmare. nightmare. Oh God, yes. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm going. Oh, go ahead. No, I just want to say. I mean, I, I also, I am approaching year four of a very happy and healthy relationship. And congratulations. Thank you so much. And I'm not letting this one go. Are you kidding me? Like, I will call the police if they try to escape. Um, I'm not going. There's not going to be a dating guide. I can't do it anymore. The dating material, I'm over it. But, you know, I'm, I'm happy I could at least put some of that in here. For sure. Uh, I'm going to do something incredibly awkward as an interviewer that I, I haven't heard done before, but it's not going to stop me. I'm going to read an excerpt from your book. This is the best thing that's ever happened to me. Okay, please. <laughs> I came across something that really touched me and I'd already asked you if you would read a segment. So I wanted to not ask you to, to read a different segment. I'll go ahead and read this. This is at your friend Kai's wedding and oh. she's had her first dance with her husband. And then you go to dance with her and she puts her head on your chest. Before we know it, what feels like hours have passed. In reality, it was only a few songs, but we remembered that Kai has a husband now and that I have a boyfriend and that they would both probably like a little attention from their respective significant others. It used to be just the two of us for so long, and we wanted it to stay that way just a minute longer. That was gorgeous, and that that beautiful moment of a wedding between someone you love very much, marrying someone who you're glad they're marrying, also has a little touch of sadness to it. it there, there is this little bit of letting go as yeah. relationships change. And I yeah. don't know that I've heard that captured as well. That was very nicely done. And I, and I related so to that so hard. Thank you, Scott. That means a lot to me. I mean, yeah, that was an emotional... I mean, it's a change, right? Change is jarring. And right. uh, it's sort of we're saying goodbye to, I guess we're grieving our, our youth and our innocence. I mean, yes, we're still young, obviously, but, you know, we're not going to be club kids staying out for four in the morning anymore. I mean, we could, but, you know, that's, <laughs> that's, that's not, I mean, I can't, I physically cannot, I will perish. But I, yeah, but that's sort of, I mean, that you're the first one that sort of touched upon it because people sort of see it as like a happy ending. And yes, it's happy in a lot of ways, but at the same time, you know, we're saying, we're, we're saying goodbye to, you know, this era and it's never, I mean, also it, it literally cannot be like that again because all the places we used to frequent are now like Bank of America. So we have right. to say goodbye. Yeah. Yeah, that that expression you can never go back, and it's—I don't know. I'm—I I have an 11-year-old, and it's 
I think it's hard for kids sometimes when their parents are always almost mourning the kid they used to be. Like, oh, you were so little. Oh, you were so cute. And I, and I try not to do that because I want her to feel good about who she is now. And I, and I love who she is now and I'm excited about who she is now. But there right. is that thing of you, you form a relationship and then it changes and you have to mourn for a minute. Yeah, that, it's a, that, yeah. yeah, that period that you're letting go of, you know, yeah, it's and gone it's and it doesn't come back. And that the word grief is something I assigned to it. And I didn't think of it in that way until I read um, Tomboyland by Melissa Falavano. And I'm lucky enough to call Melissa a friend now. But that word like grief is so, you know, it's so nuanced and it could be applied to many things. But that's sort of what I realized what I was kind of describing in that last chapter um, or at least For what sure. I've been feeling. Um, and, and it's something I've had to sit with, especially, you know, after writing it and then putting this down to the world, because it's something that, you know, it's, again, it's a memory, it's a memoir. And I'm looking down, you know, ahead and, Obviously, I don't know what's going to happen in the future. I mean, if we're going to survive this year, I mean, I don't know, we have what, like 20 days left or whatever. Right. I hope we'll make it. But uh, at the same time, like, there's a lot of things that, I don't know. But a part of me does miss those days of being, like, reckless and stupid. and and. But at the same time, like, I'm very grateful to have a bedtime with like 8 p.m. <laughs> and <laughs> I have my stories and and my books and you know I would I wouldn't get up give it up for the world but there are points where I'm like mm, I would go back for a night you know what I mean so right. I guess something I've I've had to get used to. Yeah, I've said that I, I don't mind getting older. I've enjoyed being right. enjoyed being older, but I wasn't necessarily done being young yet. <laughs> you know? Yeah, it's, it's very like, odd. Yeah, there are two weird things to sort of like reconcile, and that's definitely. I mean, I'm not there yet, but I'm still very much at least entertaining the idea of accepting that. Um, I don't want to let you go without talking about uh, a mutual love that I think we have for Ramona Quimby and Beverly <gasps> Cleary. How, how uh, long have you been a fan? I mean, ever since that was like, that was my shit growing up. I mean, I have to tell you that I'm actually going to get, it's the iconic Ramona, like staring up in the sky in like anguish, like screaming. Do you know the image I'm talking about? Yes. Yes. That, I'm actually getting that tattooed. I, I have no tattoos. I have all four brothers three older, one younger, covered in tattoos, all of them. Uh, and so you, now it's almost a point of pride that I'm going to hold out. I'm not going to get it. But but you might have just convinced me. That, that is the coolest tattoo you could get. I really thought you were going to propose that we get matching Ramona Quimby tattoos. I, I might. Uh, I, can I think about it? Uh, if you must. Uh, well, I don't think you're going to get it done anytime soon. I think we got to wait for the vaccine to spread a little. I don't, are they tattooing uh, right now? They might I be. Got, yeah, I mean, my tattoo, my artist, she just opened up her a new studio, and it's literally just her and her wife. And yeah, I got I got one done of uh, September, and it was really safe and clean. And you know, right now though, with the holidays and all that, I know I'm going to hold off because you know it's 
spreading, you know, as you well know, you're in LA and here in New York, it also is just going at a proliferating at a very fast rate. So I'm going to hold off, but my next tattoo is a hundred thousand percent Ramona. Nice. Uh, j- just to correct you, I'm not actually in LA, but I know on your coast, California is all just LA. Uh, it, it, yeah, I, it, <laughs> I'm closer to San Francisco, actually. Okay. Well, you're in LA. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's so funny because when we, when as comedians, when we tour, we're constantly billed as being from San Francisco until we get a certain amount east, and then we're billed as being from LA. <laughs> so, but never from Sacramento. No one will give us that. Uh, when when did you get into Ramona Quimby? Were you into her as a, into Beverly Cleary's books as a kid? Yeah, I was like from the get. I think like as soon as I could read, I was just like grabbing for the first room. Yeah, my brother. My brother, like, passed down because my brother's 11 years older than me. My brother, like, just gave me his Ramona, like, Hardy Boy books. And I guess just, I, I just gravitated towards Ramona because she was just, you know, bitter and angry all the time. And that's just, that's been my MO for 29 years. So, obviously, it's a match made in heaven. I, I somehow missed her as a kid. I loved Wizard of Oz. I fell in love with Judy Bloom and all oh, of her my books. Bloom, yes. But I got into Beverly Cleary just in the last six years or so as my daughter's gotten into her. It's and never too late. She writes about uh, economic insecurity, about Ramona's father quitting smoking. Oh, about yeah. In the middle of these really wonderful, sweet, but, but amazingly accurate, especially – you know, the era when she was writing them, it seems like she could have written them yesterday. Oh, um, yeah. Childhood, you know, she, she captures, uh, she's amazing. And and I think that the the snobbery towards, you know, children's literature. Um, Unfounded. No, please, no, go away with it. I mean, it's just like, if you, and for any of your listeners who read Ramona as a kid, revisit Ramona as an adult, because it's, like you said, it's like you're, you're seeing things from an adult perspective and you're like, holy shit. Like, you know, like you just said, she covers so many things now as like, you know, economic insecurity and, 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 you know, growing pains on the whole, just like revisit it again. It's like a whole new world. It's yeah. It's so wonderful. Uh, And my, my producer's pointing out in the chat that she's, uh, she's still alive. She's 104 years old now. Uh, every time yeah. she has a birthday, her name will trend, and I'm like, "Oh no!" <laughs> I know, no, she's a national treasure. Absolutely. Um, what uh, What other media are you consuming these days? Well, uh, well, since we're all sequestered to our respective homes, um, uh, well, we just finished watching. I mean, we're trying to. My partner and I just try to stay on top of all the cool things. So we just watched. The Undoing with Nicole Kidman. Okay, uh, I, I love Nicole Kidman, but I have not seen The Undoing yet. It is just it's her just like brooding all over Manhattan in like these okay. long, like billowing, like free people coats. It's glorious. It's just her, and, and it's always overcast. It's great. Um, what else? Uh, I've been reading. Oh God, what did I just read? I just I just read. You may know. Do you know Melissa Broder? She writes. She's also known for her Twitter account. So sad today. I don't know. Um, She has an upcoming novel called Milk Fed, and it was. I just 
I inhaled it in like two days. Brilliant book. Oh, um, upcoming. Did you get one of those advanced peaks at it? Yes. Yes. It's going to be out in February. So please oh, get awesome. it. So funny. And, um, and what else? Yeah. I've just been trying to stay on top of, I'm also reading, uh, leave the world behind by Ruman. Alan. I'm sorry if I'm mispronouncing his name. Ruman Alan, I think I don't have it in front of me, but also a brilliant book. But yeah, just I, I've been just trying to stay on top of reading and and what's cool right now. Do you you uh, mentioned trying to stay on top of what's going on in pop culture? I'm wondering how important do you think that is for a comedy writer? Because I've some people have actually given me grief, uh, other standups for how uh, pop culture illiterate I can be at times. I, I have little things that I love and I fixate on them, but I've never had a broad knowledge of current pop culture. That something right. has to age at least. If it ages five or six years and people still remember it, then I'll be like, ah, but I should go give it a listen, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, it totally. I mean, it's something that's hard not to pay attention to, you know? Like, we're so inundated, right? With tweets and headlines and and everything so it's hard not to sort of gravitate towards um what you're interested in because that's just how we operate as humans um it's that i mean now i'm going into like my media literacy from hofstra what's it called it's like the it's called cyber gemeinschaft it's that german theory that we sort of form communities based on mutual interests and that's really what happens on the internet. You look at Twitter and sort of how it groups these. I mean, even now they're like, follow this topic. And it's like, follow anything pertaining to Nicole Kidman, for example, because we just talked about her. Right. And then you find this like whole sub thread on Nicole Kidman. And, and that's just sort of how we consume media nowadays. I mean, it's hard not to pay attention to it because that's how we sort of uh, metabolize everything that's going on around us. And as comedy writers, that's how we metabolize the world. We're gonna, we're gonna have our takes on the news and pop culture and movies and books and TV. So it's just you know it's 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 you can't think of it in polarizing terms. It's not good or bad. It just is. That's that's our climate right now, and that's going to be our climate for the foreseeable future, which is probably going to be about twenty-seven days or less. But I digress. <laughs> I, I released an album within the last. I don't know two years. Um, and my pop culture references were, uh, the band kiss and Bruce Springsteen. So, uh, uh, you know, you know. <laughs> I might not be keeping up, but then again, both of them became trending topics all of a sudden, like they're, they're evergreens. I, I got to pass. I mean, Bruce, obviously, evergreen, obviously, you know, I have a love for Bruce Springsteen, New Jersey, New Jersey for sure. and kiss. I've seen in concert maybe six, seven years ago, Jones beach. One of the best shows of my life. So I have such I'm, a love-hate relationship with Kiss. I hate Gene Simmons with a passion. But I also, <laughs> and, and I hate their music, to be honest with you. But I think that their makeup and their stage presence is the coolest thing ever. In fact, that's part of what makes me so fascinated with them. Um, you know and I, I would that. go see them live in a heartbeat. I'm sure it would I, be amazing. I saw a Kiss and Motley Crue joint concert oh Let's, wow it was it was everything you would hope it it was the best obviously i i did get to see iron maiden on their most oh. recent tour and that oh. was incredible with my nephew who's a lifelong maiden fan sitting next to me punching the shit out of my arm 
Yeah. <laughs> in excitement at every song. Oh my God, pound, pound, pound. I'm like, find another way to express your <laughs> excitement. I'm glad that your uncle took you to a good show, but I can't be hit anymore. My favorite part of the Iron Maiden concert was when they have to explain to the American audience when they sing the song, I am a Klansman, that they're spelling it with the C. Oh my. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, just don't play it in America. We're too dumb. You no, say that one. Yeah, just let forego that one. <laughs> do do you do video games at all? Uh, we are very much obsessed with. We I, I got my partner a Switch a few years ago for uh-huh. Christmas, and I mean we just sit here. I mean, like I'm telling you, I'm a retired extrovert. We sit here and we play Smash Bros. Like there's no tomorrow. Uh, Mario Party is obviously a staple. Who doesn't love Mario Party? Uh, yeah, but we, we will play Smash. Well, we're like, we're like Beth Harmon, like from Queen's Gambit, but with Smash Bros. But with Smash. I can't do it. I, I, I think it doesn't vibe with my ADHD. That game makes my head explode. It's a lot. It's, it's a very, it's very overstimulating. Yeah. Yeah. Mario Kart, I can handle. Oh, uh, uh, yeah, well, yeah. What about Breath of the Wild? Uh, my, wh- what? <laughs> Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild the greatest oh my God, yes, accomplishment yes. in the history of mankind is that, a, is that a newer one? in in my what? Like, oh, is, is, that that a newer, is that a newer one? Yeah, is that that a Breath of the Wild? it came out when the Switch came out that was like the flagship game oh see well, I mean my we had like Majora's Mask was like I think that's GameCube though like we had See, I mean, obviously you had the original. Now, of course, the, the names are escaping me, but we had the, we had Nintendo. We had SNES in, in my house okay. going off. So we did like, we did Metroid, we did Super Metroid. Oh, Metroid is so great. Was, I mean, the shit. And, and what, we had Street Fighter. Then we had, right. the Zel- we had Zelda. Then we got a GameCube. And I remember Majora's Mask was one of them. Yeah, but, so I haven't played Majora's Mask and Skyward Sword, and I'm dying to. I'm actually going to go buy an older system. I just keep holding out, hoping they'll port them over to the Switch, but they haven't yet, and I'm tired of waiting, damn it. Although the, well, the 35th anniversary of Zelda is coming up, so they might do it uh, then. Oh, fingers crossed. Because, like, I mean, I, I actually I have a weird thing. I like to watch people play. Like, I watched my brother play growing up, and for me, that, that was entertaining. And I love watching my partner play. So maybe a lot you know, of people do. I mean, that's the whole success of Twitch and people are surprised by it. And they're the same people that watch other people play basketball and football and baseball. That's always exactly. bad. Yeah. There's people have like full on, you can watch some play. I think, you know, super Metroid or final Fan- final fantasy was the best. Final fantasy three was the best. Okay. Have you played final fantasy? I, <laughs> So I have this thing. When I was a kid, I was such a fan of horror. I mean, it was like a part of my identity, um, how much I loved horror films. I feel like comedians and also, we have a we love horror. Like, there's a giant overlap. It, between... It's the same thing. We create right. tension. We relieve it in a surprising way. Exactly. You know? Yeah. But, but now as an adult, getting, I don't know, a darker worldview, I just can't spend that much time. Like, I can't watch The Walking Dead. It's too dark for too long. It's too hopeless. Right. For too, 
and that's what's kept me away from the Final Fantasy games. They look to. Am I wrong? Should I should I give it a go? I don't know the recent ones, but I will say like the one for Super Nintendo. That one had some obviously it was so much whimsy. It was very whimsical and and cute. There was, it wasn't really that dark. I, don't, I remember okay. it being very. As a kid, I was very much in awe. And there's this little like creature called a Moogle. He's very cute. Like you know, it looks like a little. It, it's it's a combination of a pig and a bat. And I have a stuffed <laughs> animal that I was like, I want this. I had it delivered from like I bought it on eBay, and it's it's from Tokyo. And I still have it. And I just remember as a kid, I was just in so like in just in awe of it. And it was just a very, it read like a graphic novel. It was just very like whimsical and happy. So I will say, I mean, I don't know if the newer Final, the they look dark, but I will say the older Final Fantasies, those were very like sweet and, and just on the, the best. I, I've heard great things. I'll, I'll have to give them a go. Yeah. Great adventure. Uh, I, have absolutely loved talking with you. It's been a great time. Thank you so much for joining us. I'll uh, been the best. thank you. I'll do I'll do our closing credits here. Your Facebook uh, is at Gregmania. Your Instagram is at Gregmania. Your Twitter is at Gregmania, and your website is www.greg-mania.com. Did I get all that correct? That is all right, and I really hope I get Gregmania or Gregmania.com because. Listen, I'm trying to, I've been trying to get that goddamn URL for like years. <laughs> Your so dad will let it go eventually. Let you have uh, well, I have to pay for it. Ridiculous. <laughs> uh, I am at Keith Lowell on all the various platforms and our podcast is at KLJ podcast uh, at all the various platforms. I've been your host, Keith Lowell Jensen. My guest has been Greg Mania. Our producer is Joe Honor. Uh, original art for the podcast done by Joe Honor. Our editor and audio engineer is Jack Matrenga. Joe and Jack are both with Hyperpixel. Hyperpixel is a production company with a focus on digital marketing and e-commerce, offering daily management of your website, social media accounts, and digital marketing campaigns. Our original music that Greg didn't get to hear uh, was done by DJ Real, and it's magnificent. So good. Uh, And our sponsor for this episode has been Clash Books. Be sure to visit them at clashbooks.com. Thank you.